everybody. I'm Matt Valley, and welcome once again to the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we tell the super cool backstories and side gigs of the researchers and insights pros that you trust. Today's guest is Jim Sharples, who's currently the vice president at KSR, which is a top 50 market research firm in the U.S., and he's also an adjunct professor at the Martin J. Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University teaching upper level business classes on customer insights. Now, Jim has a distinguished career uh, primarily as a marketer with a particular expertise in pharmaceuticals and healthcare with client side roles previously at companies like Ameritox, Marathon Pharmaceuticals, AbbVie and CSL Bearing. So some of you know Jim professionally, uh, but what you may not know about Jim is uh, although you might have guessed by the resemblance to, uh, let's say, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought George Clooney, but yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, maybe George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim has a passion for acting in the stage that simply cannot be denied, and we'll explore that today. So welcome <laughs> to the podcast, Jim. Thank you so much, Matt. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Ah, super happy to have you here. So, so let's, start, let's, let's start with the boring stuff. Okay, so, <laughs> well, not that boring. Um, so, so you really got your start in your career in product development and marketing. Tell us a little bit about that and how you navigated your way to the market research side. Well, actually, it's funny you say that. Um, even before the product management, I did do a little bit of market research. Um, so I sort of started in market research for the first couple of years and then transitioned into product management for, gosh, probably close to 10, 13 years, okay. and then moved back into market research about seven years ago. Okay. Um, so I've sort of, I like to say that my career path looks like a drunken sailor going from bar to bar to bar to bar. Um, <laughs> Mine does with, too. The common thread, with some common threads. Um, but uh, so, so I started out, um, oh gosh, I started out after I got my master's at Syracuse, um, I had the opportunity to interview. I was interested in healthcare. I always liked the idea of being in an industry where we're helping people. Mm -hmm. um, and even though a lot of industries can certainly say that, I've always felt that healthcare has a, a unique opportunity to not only save lives, but also make people the quality of life much, much better. Right. And so I had the opportunity to interview with a company that did market research in healthcare, a very small boutique company called Miglier Kaplan. Now it's part of mm -hmm. the, it's long been, you know, gobbled up by, uh, I believe it's NFO uh, at one point. Uh, <laughs> Which it was, was part then of that. So, gobbled up several times since then, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. Um, so I started there and then moved to the client side relatively quickly. Uh, but I got into it because, again, I love I'm very curious. And so and I love sort of people. I love talking to people. I love understanding what makes them tick. And so market research was a sort of a natural place for me to go. However, mm -hmm. once I got into it, I and I interacted with a lot of marketing folks, I really was sort of interested in that how do we help drive demand? How do we help communicate to people so that ultimately what we're trying to do is match up people's needs with what our product can offer them? And so I find that fascinating, that sort of intermingling of those two things and how do you optimize it? How do you make it more efficient? How do you make it more effective? And so um, I did product management for a number of years, like you said, at some of those other different companies, pharmaceutical manufacturers mainly. Um, 
and then had the opportunity about seven years ago to move back to where I'm originally from, the Syracuse area. Um, okay. We had been in Chicago and Maryland and all the Philadelphia. And so had the opportunity to move back uh, with my family, which was a big plus. And so ran a, a small boutique company called DMD, um, which is a market research company, very uh, niche player in the pharmacy space. And mm -hmm. so ran that company for, gosh, about three years, and then we were acquired by my current employer, KSNR. Okay. Um, and I've been the one of their VPs in their healthcare practice, and also I also um, lead the new business development um, uh, function for them as well. So I've been okay. doing that now with KSNR for about four years and loving it, just loving it. Cool, cool, very cool. Um, so you mentioned loving people and yeah. uh, and that being a big part of what you're all about. Feels to me like there might be a tie to your passion <laughs> in acting. So let's hear about how you got started there and what you're doing now. So it's funny. Um, so after high school, I had joined the military um, and was in uh, the army as an infantryman for about three years, um, stationed in a couple of different places. And during one of my long 24-hour duties that I had to do, I was watching some TV and I happened to see the Tony Awards. And I was really wrestling because I was about a year and a half into my tour. I knew I had about another year and a half and I didn't know what I wanted to go to college for. I just didn't really know what spoke to me. And I'd done some theater in high school, loved it, done a lot of fun roles, um, but really didn't think you can't make a living at that. That's you know crazy. <laughs> so I saw the Tony Awards that night and it just was such a joyful celebration. And these people just seemed so incredibly happy doing what they were doing that it really spoke to me. And so I had a long talk actually with my sister and she said, you know what, Jim, when you go to college, it's the last time you're going to be able to do what you want to do. After you get out of college, you have responsibilities. You've got to pay for rent and mortgage and car payments. And she said, do what you want to do in, high, in, in college and see where it takes you. So. I went to SUNY Binghamton and uh, was a theater major and loved it, loved That's it. That's cool. Great teachers, great people. Um, I only know a few famous people. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was really um, an incredible experience and it taught me to love the craft of it, which is really that exploration of the human condition. And there is a lot of overlay. I know one of your later questions is gonna be, what do you take from one to learn to the other? But understanding the human condition is a core part of being a, a, a decent actor. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing I love about it is you don't just live your own life. You explore all these other people's lives and their other uh, personas. And they can be, you know, people with horrible, horrible faults that they're horrible to people. Or it can be people that are walking saints. It's all these different things. And theater and, and drama puts... It's sort of like real life, but under a pressure cooker. So, right. you know, and that's what makes it so interesting to watch and so compelling. And for me, I love the process of creating that character, understanding what's going on, peeling back the onion so that it's not just some superficial sort of delivery of lines and move from stage left to stage right. But it's more so about that connection of the human condition with another human being and reacting to them and feeding off of what they're sort of giving me. Yeah. Is there also this thing where uh, when you are acting and maybe acting out a character that is nothing like you, that perhaps <laughs> you, you get to feel in some small way the broader range of human emotions 
yes. uh, through somebody yes. else. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I and there's there's so many different methods to acting um, and so many different paths that different actors take to get to where they need to, to for that performance. And so I'm not a, a method actor or anything. I studied Meisner, which, you know, for anybody who's not an actor is probably like, who the heck is that? Um, but so for me, it was some of that. But a lot of, of the acting was looking for like I played once a, a Vietnam vet. Okay, so I'd been in the military, so I could pull on some of that, but I had mm -hmm. never been in war. I had never, and this was about a person who killed a, a child by accident. And so I can't possibly imagine what that person is going through. But then right. I can think about, at that time I was younger, I had no children, but I could think about my nephew who was just this little child. And I think about what if I accidentally killed him? And so you take the emotion from yourself and use it in this role right. and it, it really brings out a lot of power. And again, that's just one very you know, simple example. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So you alluded to my next question. Uh, so this has <laughs> been a lifelong passion for you, right? So this is oh, very much so, very, very, very much, much so. in parallel to your professional career. So how do you think about those two worlds? You know, it's funny. I um, after I got out of um, college, I realized you know I really wanted to focus more on having a stable existence for a, a family. I ultimately, my mm -hmm. goal has always been be a good father, be a good husband. Um, my kids and my wife would probably say, meh, but you know, it's one of those things that I really <laughs> do pride myself on. So I, I sort of pushed aside the acting and went into a career. Well, the career has been, the, a lot of people say, ooh, you were a theater major. That must have really put you back when it came to business. And I have to say, it's the exact opposite. Learning how to interact with people is what acting, a lot of what acting is about. So right, right now you and I are talking, I'm going off the cues of your face. I do the same thing at client meetings. Mm -hmm. When I start to see that, you know, something's going a little sideways, I can pick <laughs> up on it very quick and just say, you know what, Matt, I'm sorry. When we're talking about that methodology, you seemed like you were a little bit confused or maybe unhappy. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. And it's also one of the things I think makes me a good moderator as well, is that ability to really just to focus in on the other person and also react off of them so that there's an empathy, there's a connection. And all mm -hmm. of that has paid off dividends in my professional career. Okay. Um, and also that human connection. I really think that ultimately the people who are successful are the people who, <clears throat> excuse me, have a high sort of EQ and connect with people and have that empathy. Um, at least right. those are the people that I always find that I'm the most drawn to and the most interested in and work the hardest for. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, in your career, you really have developed kind of this deep specialty, right? So uh, you know as much about you know the pharmaceutical space and the healthcare space as, as almost anybody. Um, so as you think about what the future holds there with so much change in terms of regulation and everything else, and you've got COVID, you know, hanging above us as well. Um, yeah. What what does the future hold for insights in that space? Well, you know, it's funny. Insights in healthcare has gone through so many changes over the past 15, 20 years. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that you really couldn't uncover that much and you only talked to doctors um, and that was it. And that has right. changed so much with the revolution of healthcare and insurance companies making them a major player and decision maker. And then adding to that complexity, now you have all of these like uh, pharmacy benefit managers and specialty pharmacies, all these different things that add to the complexity of it. I think that... Um, it's going to get more complex probably before it gets less complex. Right. But I think that it'll only get as complex as the system can allow. Sooner or later, it'll become too burdensome, and then it simplifies, and it sort of condenses down. I think for customer insights, the trick is really how do you capture that overall ecosystem of decision makers and influencers. Because mm-hmm. unlike a retail, for example, where if I say I'm going to um, go buy a pair of shoes, I walk in, I buy a pair of shoes. Now, there's lots of things that can influence me pre-purchase, at purchase, and post-purchase. Sure. But I'm really the decision maker. I'm handing over my cash or my credit card, and so I'm paying for it. So it's a a much cleaner relationship. In pharmaceuticals, nothing could be farther from the truth there. And Mm -hmm. devices are the same. Diagnostics are similar. So in healthcare, the purchasing decision is so much more complex that the market research has to be more complex. And that's where I'm talking about the ecosystem. We really have to be able to capture effectively the different parts of that ecosystem because Mm -hmm. they really do feed off of each other. It's a living system of all these different stakeholders and influencers. And if you sort of ignore the payer or ignore the physician or ignore the nurse or ignore the pharmacist, Mm you're really not getting a clear thing. So I think that's one of the the changes is it's getting more complex. You've got to be able to play with those folks. And then obviously COVID in healthcare has been explosive in in some ways. Now that we have cures on the way um, for the vaccines, that's been incredible. The fact that they were able to deliver vaccines in such a short time period with those kind of success rates is incredible. Um, It's just unheard of. And so that I think speaks volumes about the the beauty of healthcare and the promise of healthcare. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's other things that maybe aren't so beautiful and so promising, but <laughs> it's lovely to see that yes, we can do these things. Um, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, COVID has been interesting because it shifted so much of how healthcare is delivered to more telecommunications. It's also increased the power of other delivery methods or channels like the pharmacy, specialty pharmacy, so that um, now these players are becoming more and more powerful and have more decision in the overall process. So I think that there's, and that I think is just gonna continue to change and shift. And I think that COVID has really accelerated a lot of this. Telehealth is a great example. It was always sort of out there, growing slowly. With COVID, it just exploded. And I don't think it's going to ever go back to where it was before. Yeah, it's kind of like a one-time shock to the system that changes many things uh, permanently. Exactly. And KSNR is, has a lot of different verticals that we play in. So we're in tech, we're in transportation, we're in business services, and we're seeing similar types of sea change. And I mean, we've got a lot of tech companies. Okay. Their people are now all 100% remote and probably not going back anytime soon, if at all. And so how we interact with them for doing internal things like, you know, um, uh, employee satisfaction, that type of thing has changed. 
And yeah. even what you ask them about employee satisfaction has changed. Um, so there's a lot of changes that were sort of bubbling up and now it's just very much accelerated. And again, I think it will go back to some kind of different than what it is now, but I don't think it'll ever go back to the way it was. Yeah, I don't yeah, think that's a bad, it's not a bad thing necessarily. It's, it's not a bad thing. And it feels like uh, insights is more important than ever. Uh, it's yes. faster than ever, right? Yep. Um, oh so my gosh, yes. yes. Good, good place to be. So cool. Um, when there's so confusion, when there's confusion and a lot of indecision, that's when customer insights does extremely well because that's when people need us the most. Yeah, and I think there's going to be confusion and indecision for, for a long <laughs> exactly. time to come. So. Exactly. Excellent. All right. So, uh, so let's talk about maybe some other, some media that, uh, sure. that's important to you, either uh, in terms of enjoyment or professionally and inspirationally. Uh, mm -hmm. I suspect you probably have a podcast of your own, maybe. Uh, so, so tell me about uh, other media that you're consuming currently. You mean besides this podcast? Besides um, this one, which, I know. Yeah, which, yeah exactly. Of course. Um, it's at the center of everything, and then I'll just go from there. Um, so, no, uh, I'm very fortunate in that um, I have a, I, I, I'm sort of agnostic when it comes to inspiration. And so I get inspiration from a lot of different places. And so uh, you're right, I do have a podcast. Um, a friend of mine and I do this podcast where we talk about what it's like for us as a couple of older guys, um, you know, living in today's world. And both of us are not your stereotypical sort of um, uh, aggressive, uh, hyper-masculinity kind of guys. We're a little bit more on the, the empathetic side. And so we call it the Men on Men podcast because we talk about uh. what it's like for us to be men and we talk about what that's like. And so we have guests come on and they we talk about things like what it's like to raise kids or... Sure. Um, our relationship, one of our episodes was, uh, um, I'm a good husband, aren't I? Um, so, you know, <laughs> what does it even mean to be a good husband? And, um, you know, all of these different types of things. So, so we do that. That's definitely where I get some inspiration. I get a lot of inspiration. I love movies. Um, that is one part of the quarantine that has been killing me is because, you know, movies have just been squashed as far as their productions. Right. And so um, that's been, but it's given me a chance to catch up on a bunch of really good TV series out there. Yeah. Um, and so I get a lot of stuff from there. I also love to read. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I go back and I read a lot of things that I've read before, but I, I cherished and I just want to remember, like I'm going back now and reading Catch-22. It was like one oh, of nice. my favorite books in college. Yeah. Um, and I'm going back and reading it now. And it's funny because sometimes I go back and I read the book and I'm like, oh, that was just as good as I remember, even better. Sometimes Catch-22 is one of those for me. I'm having a real tough time, you know, getting through some of it. I remember yeah. what I loved about it, but some of it is a little bit more challenging. So sure, it's interesting sure. to see how we change. Yeah, my son is reading Catcher in the Rye right now. And so oh, I'm, my son I'm, as well. That's so yeah. funny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm living vicariously through him. Remember yes, that, exactly. That book, Holden so. Caulfield, right? Yes. Yes, so. yes indeed. Cool. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so this is great, um, but... You know what I really want to know, because this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. You're stranded on a desert island. Yes. You have three records, records, okay. not books, records okay. at your disposal that must keep you company for the end of your days. But you can choose any of those three that you want. What What are they? You know, this is a tough question. This is a tough <laughs> question because, and it's funny because I wouldn't consider myself a huge um 
what's the right term? What's a, not a Francophile? What is it called? Audiophile. Uh, audiophile. Thank you. Francophiles, people who <laughs> love France. Um, shows you can, you can be both. Yeah. Yes, of course. French music. Right? Um, but uh, I, um, I mean, I love to, like, I play banjo. I love to, you know, play music, but I'm not exactly a huge audiophile. So what I did was I went back to ones I, I got into my... Um, Spotify account, and I just looked at what do I play all the time, and it was Steve Martin's Rare Bird Alert, the one he did with uh, his, his Bluegrass. Yeah, um, oh, just fun. incredible, just incredible. Um, and then uh, and now I'm going to show my age, and uh, but Billy Joel, um, I love Billy Joel. So Billy Joel's The Stranger is like one of my absolute favorite. It was, it, it came out at a time when I was going through. Um, you know, a lot of growth uh, in my life. And so it was something I relied on heavily and felt yeah. that it touched me personally. So that's definitely one. And my last one is sort of a toss up. I know you say only three, but I'm going to I'm going to do three A and three B. They're <laughs> both, right. but they're both they're both similar. OK. And that is because of my acting and theater background, um, I love move, certain soundtracks mm -hmm. um, and certain um, uh, musical soundtracks. And so Hamilton is just a, a, a play that moves me and I think most people in such a powerful way yeah. that I could listen to that music all the time. Uh, right. But I feel the same way about uh, Les Mis uh, and the music there. So yeah. I, it's a sort of toss up. I'd have to, you know, I'd probably just have to like, you know, have somebody else pick it and I just live with it. But um, yeah, one of those. Well, you know, as this is about research, I'm going to have to make the call because at some point I do enough Please. podcasts, you know, I'm, I I have to quantify these data, right? Figure yeah. out. You can't say 4.5, it's 4 or it's 5, right? We've all been there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to default to Hamilton because you said that first. Okay. But, okay. Uh, all right. That's fair. But you're drawing out of me my own guilty pleasure, which is the My Fair Lady soundtrack. I just, oh, I love it. That's so awesome. that's <laughs> I got to awesome. throw it out there. It's not rock yeah. and roll, but hey, it works for me. <laughs> all right. Yeah. George Bernard Shaw was the original writer of uh, Pygmalion, which was the play that it was based yeah. on. And I just absolutely love his stuff. As a matter of fact, I almost named my son. Um, we knew his middle name was going to be Bernard after a family, a dear family member. And so we were thinking, I said, can we name him George? So it would be George Bernard Sharples. And I was so close to George Bernard Shaw. And my wife was like, I like the name, but no, we can't do that. So, so he's a Benjamin. So, you know, that's okay. all right. So, okay, anyways. almost, almost. Yes. All right, cool. Well, this has this been great. Um, you're just such an engaging person to talk to. I really appreciate oh, your time. You. And no, it's been uh, lovely. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for appearing on the podcast. And of course, Jim, rock and roll. Yes, rock and roll. All right. <laughs>